morning. What's up, LL Nation? It is Lucky Lefty Podcast. We spin it different. I'm Sean Davis at SD2Mikes. Of course, you can follow me right there. The original Lucky Lefty, Malik Zaire, is on his way. He's dealing with the baby boy this morning, man. He's giving him a tough time. So sorry we started late. Want to get to your questions and your comments. A lot to talk about. Transfer portal. Man, filling up by the hour is crazy. Uh, Very interesting comments. We actually talked about it in the previous two episodes. We talked about how Marcus Freeman and with the wide receiver position probably will be looking at the transfer portal rather than going out and signing somebody in the late period in February. And then we're going to talk about Marcus Freeman and his comments. That's why we entitled this episode Stepping Stones, right? This class is the stepping stone to the future of Notre Dame. He talked about his philosophy moving forward and how he wants to be the head recruiter. Interestingly, he said that he has to be the main one and the players and the prospects and the young men that they're going after and recruiting have to know him very well and have to have a relationship with him. And that's a far departure from the narratives and the things we've heard about the recruiting in the previous 12 years. And not just the previous 12 years, but a lot of head coaches at Notre Dame have taken the CEO approach and pretty much delegated to their staff and put the main uh, main responsibility of recruiting that particular position on the assistant coaches. And it's a stepping stone. It's a new day. It's a new day at Notre Dame under Marcus Freeman. So we're going to get to uh, also petty story today. I think we'll go to Jacksonville for that, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But I want to get directly to your comments and your questions. Thank you. We are presented and featuring Anora Whiskey. Go to AnoraWhiskey.com and get that premium American whiskey. It is AnoraWhiskey.com. Hope everybody had a great signing day. Notre Dame signed 21 players. I don't think they'll be adding anyone else to the class. Right now, we're just really trying to figure out how many early uh, enrollees we'll have. Right now, I think it's sitting at about five early enrollees. And uh, we're waiting for a couple of guys to announce whether or not they will be enrolling early on for the spring semester. But overall, what are my thoughts on this class? Depending upon, you know, the publication you're looking at, they're ranked six, seven, but it's definitely a top 10 class and it's a missed opportunity. And what I mean by that is this class could have been top five. I don't think it could have been top three because the defensive line hall that Texas A&M has is one of the best I've ever seen in one recruiting cycle in Alabama always. And usual suspects, you know, what did shock me though, is seeing, and we said this post-game, go look at the post-game show from the Stanford game. And also when we previewed the 2022 schedule, we told you Stanford is going to be one of the most underrated and probably toughest games next year. Stanford had two big wins early in the year. They beat USC on the road. They beat Oregon on the road. And they were set to have a really solid season. And then all of a sudden injuries hit the offensive line and their defensive line. 
and their season just kind of like cascaded down from there. Their recruiting class, for them to have on certain publications, the number 10 recruiting class, ESPN had them sitting at number 12. I think Rivals had them sitting at about 13. For Stanford to be sitting there, yo, kudos to David Shaw. That's, That's a great response to the type of season they had. And then my other takeaway is USC, man, the Lincoln Riley effect right now, they're sitting at 79. So they got some work to do. And I think the majority of the kids that they're going to um, sign probably will be in February. Now, this is another thing that stood out. You had Florida, Oregon, USC, and there was one more school. It'll come to my mind. But those four schools in particular had a lot of kids that did not sign their letter of intent. They're committed, but they did not sign that letter of intent. And they're going to wait, weigh their options and sign later on. I think that's very important. A lot of guys have not entered the transfer portal, but they have yet to sign the letter of intent from all of those programs. So you have two factors. You have freshmen that have yet to enter the transfer portal from those particular teams. And then you have high school seniors that have chosen not to sign that letter and they're opening up and waiting for more options to come. That's very interesting when you look at those schools and the big news of the day, right? Florida state, like no one can overlook that Florida state snagging the number one overall recruit or number two, depending upon the publication that you look at. And NIL deal might be involved with it with Barstool. You know, they have that connection with Jackson State and Deion Sanders. I don't think, and this is something I told a lot of people, because I think both sides of this coin were very excited and overreacted just a little bit because there were those that said, yo, this really doesn't mean anything. Five stars are about to just start going to Jackson State and HBCUs and droves. And then you have the other side of the coin where people are like, yeah, Dion's got it rocking now. Now we're about to start grabbing a lot of five-star kids. It's like, yo, hold your horses. This is the first step. Last year, you know, he got his four-star son, uh, Shador, quarterback, had a great season. He's probably going to be about about a second or third-round pick in the NFL draft in a couple of seasons. Might even be next year. And then his son transferred in from South Carolina as safety. And then last year, he snagged a four-star defensive lineman. And that was the big news. Now he's gotten a five-star defensive back. So he needs to start stacking these guys. And the big thing is these kids that go to Jackson State have to become first and second round picks in a couple of years. That's what these high school kids are watching the most. What's the pipeline looking like? Because there's one thing to sign one of these kids, but what is the outcome? It's great that he got a million dollars in an NIL deal reportedly. But in three years, where is he going to be? Can Jackson State develop him? Can Jackson State put him in position to be a first-round pick in the NFL draft? That, at the end of the day, will decide whether or not kids feel like, man, we need to take a look at HBCUs and take a harder look at HBCUs down the line.
that's the most important thing. I, so I think the big time effect or the long-term effect of that decision for the kid to flip from his alma mater, Florida State, and to choose Jackson State, yes, the NIL, I'm sure, was definitely one of the factors. But other than that, the relationship with Deion Sanders. And then moving forward, we have to take a look at the outcome. Can Jackson State retain him, develop him, and get him to what he wants, which is to be a first-round pick in the NFL draft coming up? So that's definitely something uh, we're going to be watching, and we'll see the retention and the development at Jackson State. We'll see how that plays out. Like I said, uh, his son Shador uh, Sanders more than likely is going to be a, a second, third round pick in the NFL draft in a couple of years. So shout out to uh, Jackson State, the Tigers, and shout out to Deion Sanders on making history yesterday, in my opinion, making history yesterday. So let's get to your comments. Christopher Galloway, who to take in the transfer portal, Georgia Tech athlete or Q's receiver? Well, the Syracuse receiver, I believe you're talking about is Taj Harris. Taj Harris committed to Kentucky. Uh, I believe it was late Tuesday night he committed to Kentucky. And, you know, we just have to wait and see because some of the big-time programs that are preparing for bowl games, there are a lot of kids that are going to be playing in bowl games for big-time programs that after the bowl games, they're going to be making a decision of whether or not they want to transfer. So I think Notre Dame, Marcus Freeman was very open and transparent. That's one thing. It's like, well, Marcus Freeman, you know, when he speaks to you, you might not like what he says, but he's very transparent and he's very honest about what he's thinking and about what's going on with the football program. Where sometimes, you know, previous coaches, you know, it was like pulling teeth. You know, they didn't really want to give you the truth. And you had to, like, decipher what was really being said and what was going on. His press conference yesterday, Marcus Freeman was very upfront, told you, like, yes, this class is something that we love. Could it have been better? Yes. But the timing of Brian Kelly stepping away, vetting Marcus Freeman for the days and getting all the assistants back in to the program, all of that took away from the time that could have kept guys like Devin Moore and C.J. Williams in the class. And those are two guys, as we've reported, were already shaky and more than likely wanted to stay home anyway and really just looked at Notre Dame as kind of like a, a placeholder. Like, man, I got Notre Dame. Hopefully these local teams would come around and they were waiting to see what the coaching changes would be because I think everybody knew that Florida and USC would be having new coaches halfway through the season. So I just didn't like the way the kids kind of used the Notre Dame brand to like promote this big decision where in my, my opinion, the decisions had already been made by both CJ Williams and Devin Moore weeks ago. So then the story of Amorion Walker, he got flipped from Notre Dame three-star wide receiver uh, out of uh, the suburbs of new Orleans down there in Louisiana. And, you know, we talked about it, man. I think it was on Monday night. He posted it himself in a Kansas state Jersey on his Instagram page. And we were just laughing. It's just like, yo, if, if, if that's how you want to play this and you want to flirt with Kansas state, we're Notre Dame, man. We're Notre Dame. If you want to flirt with Kansas state, I don't even think we want you. I really don't. If that's what you want to do, 
the night before, two nights before signing day, man, Notre Dame has to do a better job, specifically Dale Alexander. And I talked about this on Irish Breakdown. I really believe that Marcus Freeman has chosen to give Dale Alexander a true assessment over the 15 practices. Assess how he teaches, assess how he coaches, and then assess how he's dealing with the 2023 class. As of right now, Carnell Tate is the number one guy you have to get. You have to get three receivers, minimum, in 2023. At the top of that are two Midwest guys, but you don't have to worry about geography. That's Carnell Tate and that's Malik Elsey. Both are originally from Chicago. Carnell Tate goes to IMG, but Carnell Tate is thinking about transferring back to his original school, St. Rita, which has become a big power in the city of Chicago in the Catholic League, and they've become a power in the state of Illinois. Malik Elsey's at Simeon. Simeon produces more than basketball players. Yeah, you know about Ben Wilson. You know about Derrick Rose. You know about other great uh, Taylor Horton Tucker with the Lakers. That's just to name a few. But Simeon also produces a lot of D1 prospects in football. Malik Elsey, 6'2", big, tall receiver, physical. He can play in the slot. And he has the speed to stretch the field on the outside. And he's been dominating the Chicago Public League. He was on campus with the commits from 2022 last weekend. Has formed a great relationship with them. So Notre Dame is right there at the top for his services. Now you have to think about it. This is where Notre Dame, Marcus Freeman, they have to change the narrative and put in the work. Caleb Brown, who signed with Ohio State, has been very open that when it came to Notre Dame, he had no relationship with Brian Kelly. None. If you had watched Iris Breakdown yesterday, you saw Nolan Ziegler. Notre Dame commit that signed with Notre Dame yesterday. Said he had no relationship and barely talked to the head coach in his recruiting. So when he signed with Notre Dame, he signed because of the program. He signed because of the school. He never signed because of the coach because he never talked to the coach, really. He only had one, maybe two conversations his entire recruiting cycle with the head coach. This is what Marcus Freeman and his staff, this is a narrative they have to change. It has to change. Like Marcus Freeman says, he's going to be the lead recruiter. He's going to be the main one that builds a relationship with these kids. And for him to say that, he understands what has been said and what has been done with this program for over the last 12 years and how they're viewed. And when you're viewed like that in your own backyard, that's not a good thing. Like Chicago is Notre Dame country. Huge, huge Catholic representation here in Chicago. Huge. The Catholic League is huge. You have teams like De La Salle. You have teams, powers like Mount Carmel that produce Donovan McNabb, Simeon Rice, all types of D1 prospects on an annual basis. Maris is coming up. St. Rita is coming up. So Loyola Academy produces D1 prospects annually. You have to do a better job of communicating. You have to do a better job of communicating with these kids. Caleb Brown went to Ohio State not because he had no interest in Notre Dame. He went to Ohio State because he did not have a relationship with the head coach. And there was no effort. That was the only minimum effort put in to get a kid like Caleb Brown. And that's why he went to Ohio State. 
So now we move over to Cardinal Tate, 2023. Who is down is between Notre Dame and Ohio State. That's it's between Notre Dame and Ohio State. And right now, Ohio State and Brian Hartline, they're kicking Notre Dame's tail, killing Dale Alexander. And this is why I believe Marcus Freeman is giving Dale Alexander 15 practices and the rest of this month to really see the work that he can do as a recruiter and as a coach. Here, this is what I expect of you. Let's see if you can fill that out and give me what I need. And if you can't, Come January 2nd, it's a tough decision I have to make. And I have to choose to move on for the betterment of this program because we cannot exist and move forward in the same way that we've been operating for the previous 12 years when it comes to these top recruits. Everything has to change. And this class in 2022 and the way everything went down late should be the stepping stone to Notre Dame's future and the Freeman era. All right. Now let's bring in the original Lucky Lefty himself. Our guy, Malik Zaire. My fault, bro. I'm pushing the wrong buttons. I'm all over the place this morning. Same There's my here. guy. Same good with it. Up and early, baby. We up and early at it. As always, presented to you by there it is, Anora Whiskey. That premium American whiskey. Go to AnoraWhiskey.com. How you feeling, bro? Great, man. Great. Just another opportunity, man. Our signing day was huge. I thought we was getting a lot of guys committed, and I think we're at number seven right now. Is that where we're at? Depending upon the publications, I think uh, ESPN has Notre Dame at six. Other publications have Notre Dame at seven, but they definitely are a top ten program. Definitely a top, top 10, ten program. And I was I was telling everybody before you joined us, missed opportunity. Missed opportunity. You had an opportunity to have a top five class. Uh, I don't think they really had an opportunity to have a top three class because what Ohio State, Texas A&M, and Alabama did was just, just yeah, phenomenal. Texas A&M was a surprising, surprising person right there. Yeah, see, this is my thing, though. And a lot of people talked out. We'll get to the NIL in, the, in Texas and what they gave the offensive linemen and whether or not Notre Dame needs to step it up in the NIL department with these next classes. But Texas A&M, for me, it's like, yo, they always have talent. They get the best of Texas. Jimbo Fisher's been there. Was his third, going on his fourth season now? I mean, they had Miles Garrett. Yeah, and they still underachieve at the end of the day. Yeah. You know why? Let's be real. Texas A&M, with all of that talent, has the same problem as Notre Dame and a lot of other programs. You can't get that big-time quarterback. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where, where's the big-time quarterback? They lost Kyle Allen and Kyler Murray, and both of those guys are playing in the league. Right. Had Kyler Murray, lost him to Oklahoma. So the connective tissue and the importance, we know the importance of the quarterback on the next level. But a lot of people overlook the importance of the quarterback on this level. In terms of winning games, national championships, it's no different than having a first-round quarterback mm -hmm. just because the, the level of challenge that it is at this point with these super teams that you get with Alabama and Ohio State, Clemson, these are pre-NFL teams. So it's like the ultimate quarterback gauntlet challenge. Yeah. You can beat an Alabama. You can beat Ohio State. 
you solidify yourself as a top five quarterback. He's like Ohio State, they get quarterbacks. Alabama, they get quarterbacks. With all the defensive linemen and all the defensive talent and all the beef on the offensive line that Texas A&M got, I'm looking at the quarterback situation like, I'm not moved. Yeah, I'm not. You can have all these studs that end up in the NFL and still go eight and three, nine and three. You know what I'm saying? And I just don't get it. Jimbo Fisher won when he had Jameis Winston. It just shows you what a quarterback can do. You know, and I'm I'm sure there's comparable talent to that those Florida State teams and the teams that he has now. Obviously, the Florida State team was more talked about, but I'm sure they got a lot of NFL quality talent at Texas A&M. Yeah. It's just that quarterback. I mean, you got guys at Texas A&M, Johnny Manziel, Kellen Mond, uh, you know, that type of people. And then you got over here at other places, you got Kyle Murray, C.J. Stroud, you got your – your top in the nation. So if you want to be the the top 1% of the, the, the talent and the 1% teams in the college football, you got to have a 1% quarterback. Absolutely. You have to go and get that guy. We've talked about Dante Moore for the 2023 class. And I don't think you really uh, – you talked about it yesterday. Your thoughts on the quarterback room as it stands now. Like on January 2nd, Steve Angeli comes in the, into the quarterback room. Is that one of the positions where you would look into the into the transfer portal? And the reason I say that, I've seen a lot of Notre Dame fans clamoring for Bo Nix oh over the last couple of days. Let's look. I'd much rather get Tyler Buckner because at least Tyler Buckner's not going to give me as many picks from what we know already. You know, like I don't think Tyler Buckner will be a turnover machine, but Bo Nix is a turnover machine. I'd rather go Spencer Riley than get Bo Nix. So Bo Nix is not an attractive pickup. Mm. You know, it's not like he's uh, – people are clamoring college football-wise where he's got to make a huge decision that sways college football. I don't think yeah. that that happens with him going to Notre Dame. And I don't think we're looking for him. I think they trust Tyler Buckner over Bo Nix talent-wise. And, yeah, that's that's – probably what we don't need is a Bo Nix. But the quarterback room with Steve Angeli coming in, the question is, does Steve Angeli make the room better? I don't know. I don't think he goes in with any hype that people are giving him of an expectation that he's going to challenge Tyler Buckner or he's, you know, the the guy like Jimmy Clausen had the attention coming in. I think he's got an under-radar attention level set. And then, you know, if he gets in and makes a splash play, that can be the start of his career. But in terms of coming in day one and changing the program around, I don't think so. But, shoot, I don't know either. I don't. From what I've seen, he's not the guy that I would look towards as a Dante Moore perspective where it's like, man, that's the icing on the cake. That's all we're missing. I think Steve fits in the class for what Steve fits in the class for, I think. Uh, more of a Jack Cone, uh, Hendricks combination. Yeah. You know, what I mean, yeah. I'm not, I don't think there's a defining quality that he has that I'm like, oh man, we finally got a big arm, we finally got some dynamic feet. Mm-hmm. It's just a quarterback, you know, he, like you said, he didn't finish in the 11, right? Or was it, yeah, I don't think he finished in the elite 11, but 
that's just a sign of what we're we're not going towards, and that's towards a dynamic quarterback. Yeah, you've coached at the Elite Eleven. Can I explain to uh, LL Nation like what really goes on? Because a lot of people hear about guys that don't make it, and how is that laid out? How's the competition put forth, and how they you know calculate points and all of that stuff? Kind of lay it out so people can understand what really happens at the Elite Eleven camp. Well, it's about a week competition, uh, about five or six days, right? And throughout that whole time, you're being evaluated through the competition of drills. You got seven on seven. You got uh, on and off the field things. It's, it's sort of like an NFL combine, except it's all quarterbacks. You got all the top coaches in the country that come out. They get the, the receivers locally, but you know, there's parts of camp where we're doing um, accuracy challenges. There's parts of camp where we're doing footwork. There's parts of camp where, you know, the whole thing is a competitive-based mindset that you're being evaluated every day. So every day, the list of 11 out of the 24 guys that get called to be on the last show, the 11 is what you want to get to. So every day they have a ranking, 1 through 11, and people rise and fall throughout the stock of the week. And then the last day, you do like a two-minute drill. You do all the type of finishing uh, fun competitions. And at the end, you see if you made the final 11 to be considered the elite 11. Uh, not making it, or if anything, just a general scope of it for fans and for recruiting classes, you can probably get the best of the best out of that class out of every elite 11. So you get a flavor of what's coming into college and things to be aware of and guys that might pop going in first year or might even have some potential for growing throughout the years. Uh, we had JT Barrett. You know, he did make the 11, but he ended up being one of the best Ohio State quarterbacks statistically, more of like an Ian Book style, you know. Um, then you got guys like Jared Goff who made it in my class, and he – Plan for Detroit, you know, yes. first round pick. So uh, that elite eleven coming out of high school into college gives a the landscape of what you're going to be facing and who's going to be a problem and not a problem down the line, uh, and you get to see their skills up close. <laughs> so here's a I, I'm going to give you something, man. You said no to one quarterback that Notre Dame fans have been clamoring for. You know, teams are preparing for the bowl game. We talked about it before you joined us that a lot of guys will be entering the portal after the bowls. That's when you'll see the portal really take off. If Caleb Williams becomes available. Get him. <laughs> go get him? I say we win the championship if we go get him. It's like that. It's like that. Crown is champions. I like our chances versus Alabama with a Caleb Williams. I trust our defense enough. He's gonna he's gonna generate points and take the pressure off of Tommy to where Tommy doesn't have to be a perfect play caller. Tommy can give guys things to work with and he's gonna make it right. Uh and that's something that you can't find in a lot of quarterbacks. Sometimes you gotta give a perfect game plan. Yeah. For a quarterback to execute, a guy like Caleb Williams, you know, you don't have to be perfect every time. And that's that's kind of just the relationship you want, is that he can turn chicken crap into chicken salad. 
That's a fact. Welcome to the Lucky Lefty Podcast. I'm Sean Davis at SD2 Mics. My guy, Malik Zaire, the original Lucky Lefty himself, that dude right there. Featuring and presented by Honora Whiskey. Go to honorawhiskey.com for that premium American whiskey. So, let's see. We got a question here from Carnivorous Lunar Activity. Ben Skoranek from Northwestern worked out well from Transfer Portal. It's two sides to that coin. It's two sides to that coin because Ben Skoranek coming on took reps away and you saw people leave. Once again, it's the same thing with people want Avery Davis back. Like this is his kids will wait maybe a, a year. You're yeah. lucky if they wait two years. Yeah, no, straight up. Man, for real. So Ben Skoranek coming in, yeah, he produced. He produced. He man he got to the NFL. He didn't produce till late. He wasn't producing from the jump. He was producing as the year went on. But I think we were more of a benefit to Ben Skoranek than Ben oh. was to Notre Dame. Got him to the league. Yeah, we definitely. If he stayed Northwestern, he wouldn't be with the Rams today. No, no. That's one hundred. So I think we worked the transfer portal for him more so than him working out for us yeah i can rock with that uh man urban meyer we'll get to urban meyer in a minute <laughs> that's that's definitely that's that's definitely petty train material right there we'll get to him in a minute kick the kicker now you gonna kick the kicker man yeah you haven't had an opportunity to really talk about it i dove into it christopher galloway said what about coach prime taking one from fsu uh Give me, a short, give me a short term and a long term. Short term is great for what it can imply. Uh, looking looking in the future, uh, shows that players aren't afraid to take that chance. Mm-hmm. And a player that's taking a chance like that is really good because you know that the NFL has to pay attention. I mean, the kid is a, a very special kid. He's definitely weak. League qualified, league certified. If you think about it too, like a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau, if he went to a, a JSU, he'll be no different than where he is today as a first round pick. Mm. A guy like Travis Hunter, who is at the same um, hype and ability level to where people think that he's an NFL prospect, is going to put all eyes on Jackson State and, and Deion Sanders. And in the short term, it's going to be great. You might have a couple more guys flip. Um, they already got a quarterback, so you know that having a quarterback, you're going to have a, a an attractive uh, team to look out for. And it puts a little bit of pressure on Prime long-term to stay. You know, you pulling off something that shocked college football recruiting history Man. yesterday. Like, the history was affected yesterday. And so being uh, more prone to leaving if a big-time program calls – It'll be harder morally, but I hope he doesn't pull a Coach Kelly and like he did to Cincinnati and Notre Dame and just dip for the money. So right, right, it puts Prime in a tough spot to where he's kind of locked into the swag, just because of what he was able to pull off from a recruiting standpoint and how it it'll translate into the university and what the university can do. But I mean, overall, this is something that everybody was wanting to see. I thought last year with Mikey Williams making an announcement he was considering it for basketball, blew up the basketball world a little bit. 
Uh, you have Bobo go to Hampton, you know, and he's in the league now. So uh, I think the best part about all of this is that it's, it'll explode the college football scene. Yeah. And it really also depends on how Travis Hunter is taken care of. Is he going to get some of those major D1 program NIL deals? Is he still able to to do all the things that a D1 college football player does? So it puts a little pressure on both him and Coach Prime, but his talent mixed with Coach Prime being who he is, I think from a unique standpoint, if you had to find a way to break through yeah, uh, and break down that barrier of something of shock value to get the attention of guys doing it, this was the perfect storm. I know he probably could told Travis Hunter, like, I'm going to just coach you one-on-one. <laughs> and that's all he needed. <laughs> so whoever they had at Florida State as the DB coach. Didn't matter. It, it just didn't matter. It wasn't oh. like you're not going to compete with Prime, especially the best to ever be out of Florida State is asking you to go somewhere else and he'll coach you. I mean, those are the type of impacts that you're going to need to have like an Eddie George at a TSU, uh, uh, Deion Sanders at Jack State, those are the type of hires you need to get the recruiting. And I think that's just the macrocosm of what Marcus Freeman adds to changing the perception for these top prospects to Notre Dame. I think a lot of players look at Marcus Freeman in a similar light to Dion mm-hmm. from an attractive relatability standpoint to where maybe a Travis Hunter that – Maybe not not a Travis Hunter, but a, a a level of athlete like that could see the perspective of him being a Notre guy, a Notre Dame guy, change with a Marcus Freeman at the helm, as opposed to Coach Kelly trying to get after the same guy. Hey, bro, I don't think any coach in America had a worse night or a worse signing day than Mike Norvell. <laughs> like he lost Travis Hunter, but like the night before. He got a phone call like at 11 o'clock the night before signing day. And his offensive coordinator told him he was leaving to go to Oregon. <laughs> this is before, this is literally before midnight, like midnight signing day, an hour before the official clock strikes midnight in this signing day. His offensive coordinator says, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and take the same position at Oregon. And I think it's crazy, too, because, you know, there's a lot of shock that happens on a signing day. But they also, first, they did pick up the best tackle in the country out of Fort Lauderdale uh, from um, St. Thomas Aquinas. I got a chance to work with this guy at overtime. Great prospect. And uh, they still were able to pick him up. I'm, I think he's just a hometown kid. He wanted to stay home. Yeah. But. It, it just shows that you got to have a personality to fit the school that you're coaching at. Mike Novell is not a fitting personality for Florida State. I think everybody at Florida State knew that before it got there. It's kind of fitting a square peg into a circle hole. Yeah. And that, it's the same effect for a, a guy like Coach Kelly, you know. Personality, does he fit with LSU? So far from what we've seen in terms of the moves made, it doesn't look right. It may work, but it doesn't look right. Yeah, I agree with that. Not only did he lose Travis Hunter, but then he lost uh, Devon Mortimer, who flipped to Louisville. He's a four-star offensive lineman. And you had Julian Arnella, 
who uh money yeah, fell I saw like, talking about Julian Arnella who committed. Yeah. But he, he hasn't signed yet. He said he's going to wait until February, but he still says he's going to sign with Florida State. On top of that, Ty West, uh, who was a heavy lean to Florida State, he woke up and decided to go to Tennessee yesterday. And then they had a four-star pass rusher and uh, Najala Kelly. Man, he chose Miami yesterday. Decommitted, chose Miami, same day. And Marvin Jones Jr., who is legacy. His dad was an All-American. At Florida State, he said no and chose Georgia. Mm. All of this happened on signing day. I do. That may be enough to make Mike Norvell resign, bro. Can, like, can that happen? Can he, can he step down because the recruiting was so bad? When you lose five, four stars. It's a rough day. Yeah, and, you know, Notre Dame fans were upset about, you know, two four-stars and, like, a three-star. You know, Notre Dame, we've never been a a flavorful recruiting vibe, you know, where we got the flashy. Explain that. Explain that from inside the program. Explain that. So inside the program, as a guy on the team, I was never, like, super excited about recruiting classes coming in because it was never somebody that I heard of before. Like, for instance – even Deshaun, when Deshaun came in, <laughs> it was me, Tommy, and Hendricks. And when Deshaun came in, I'll never forget Deshaun had committed. And he put out this long statement, you know, the I don't care statements about not uh, nobody calling him for interviews because he wants to spend time with them. I'm like, well, you ain't get <laughs> selected to be the president or nothing. Nobody care about that. You So I just remember that process and how it was just like, you know, we just was thinking these kids are – so excited over something that they don't even know what they're getting into, you know. So um from a flashy standpoint, I didn't really get excited about a recruit we had outside of my class until KJ really, where I was like, man, we really got a guy like that can light up the field a little bit. You know, everybody else were were projects or guys that were really good from what the coaching staff said, but I didn't I didn't hear about him. For instance, we had Chase Claypool and Miles Boykin. Like Miles Boykin was a tight end coming into coming into school, so it was like he. We didn't know he was the four four Baltimore Raven receiver. Yeah, Chase Miles Claypool. was Miles was Miles was a better. Most people in the Chicagoland area thought Miles was a better hooper than he was. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. We get these these one off. You know, could be, could not be, depending on how we develop. Chase Claypool was still a raw athlete. He wasn't Pittsburgh, Mapletron. Right. Uh, even the defensive players, you know, Jalen Elliott and Troy Pride. And these are babies. So it's like we didn't really know until they got there, which is a just a defining factor about how we recruit at that point in time. I mean, CJ came in as a safety. He left as a top running back. <laughs> right. So we're not getting guys that are bona fide studs at a single position all the time. You know, our our main ones are tight ends. That's why we get a Michael Mayer, Alize, a Troy Nicholas, you know, Ben Koyak. We get those names, but people are not looking in the country and saying, oh, we got a superstar tight end unless he's an Eric Gilbert or something, you know, or a Bowser that went to Georgia. Man, it's just interesting to hear you saying that. And, you know, that's why we talked about today is a stepping stone or yesterday was a stepping stone. 
to the future in the Freeman era and things changing. Like, yeah, like Jalen Sneed gets me excited. Yeah. That that gives me like, okay, we got a guy. Like, that's know, a dude. We got a dude. We got a dude. Yeah, yeah. And we got that dude. Now, this is, again, Marcus Freeman detailed this in his press conference. Marcus Freeman played with his high school coach mm. at Ohio State. When he was at Cincinnati, his guy that he played with at Ohio State called him and said, I got a guy. <laughs> this is how it works. Yo, I got a guy. That works. Only to find out that then not only did he have a relationship, but I believe his wife knew the coach as well. So now this is the relationship that built with Jalen Sneed before he even got the job as defensive coordinator at Notre Dame. And once he gets to Notre Dame and he's bringing that brand, yeah, like talking to him about Cincinnati is one thing, but now you're talking to him about Notre Dame? You, you, you get in his ear. You, you're going to get a conversation. Absolutely. That's a totally different package you're presenting to him. And Jalen Sneed talked about it when he signed his letter of intent at his press conference yesterday. He was like, yo, I may get to the NFL, but if I don't, I feel really good about the rest of my life. And that, man, that was good to hear. And also Tyson Ford's mom, I was on with Brian Driscoll for the early show yesterday. Tyson Ford's mom joined the show, and she made a great comment. She said that he was actually committed to Oklahoma or was about to commit to Oklahoma. Had the shirts and everything out. Oh, they was really finna go. Was about to go to Oklahoma. And she said that her, her dad and the rest of the family, she flat out said God told me he was supposed to go to Notre Dame. And so. had a God that talked to her. Man. And she said. uh, (laughs) God got to talking to you. She said they had they had a, uh, an, an announcement date set. Yeah. And this was like, um, they set an announcement. This is early January. Marcus Freeman gets the job. Said Tyson was out with his friends somewhere. Marcus Freeman calls. She connects him with Tyson. Tyson pulls over on the side of the road and has a two-hour conversation with Marcus Freeman. <laughs> I said what that Irish does. That Irish will make you want to sit down and have a conversation. Sit down and, and talk to She said when he got back home, she knew something had changed. That's right. And hey, that's you know, Marcus Freeman from, from Dayton, man. You know, we get to you give us that one-on-one time. We're going to make it happen, Captain. Oh, that's that relationship. That you have to have. You have to be able to build those relationships with these young men as a head coach. And if you're not good in that era, area, your program can't get to that elite level. But this is where Tommy has to step up and earn that money that he got as a bonus as well because yeah. Marcus Freeman can do that with a Jalen Sneed because they can relate. Yeah. But Tommy Reese wasn't calling no C.J. Williams every no. day. Tommy Reese not calling Dante Moore as much as I feel like he probably should because that's not who Tommy is. You know, Tommy's got more of the, you know what we doing and you know, I want to pick my guys specifically, da, 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 da. But if Tommy's pulling out Steve Angeli's all the time, I'm not feeling too confident that he's putting in the recruiting effort Mm -hmm. that he's putting in on the offensive play call side. Because those conversations make the difference in recruiting. 
Marcus Freeman understands that. And all he needed was the leverage of a better school yeah. to get to get kids in that in that Notre Dame boat. Yeah. Tommy's already, you know, he was a recruit himself. He went to Notre Dame. He had his journey. But his what I want to see him get better at is the personal personability or even get a quarterback coach. If you want to be the OC and focus on plays, that's fine. Yeah. But get you a quarterback coach that's just a recruiter. Right. Flat out. You know, because you doing a, it's a hefty job with all the things you got going on as an OC. But let the let you hire a quarterback coach. That way they can do all the flying and recruiting and selling and you focus on your main job of calling them plays. And I think that's that was suit better for Tommy than for Tommy to be worrying about calling these potential recruits, especially you need focus when you're trying to land a Cave Klubinek or Dante or, you know, you need yeah. some you need some special attention where you get a Marcus Freeman type of call every Wednesday at after school, you know, because that nowadays that's important because nobody's talking about how many years Dabo spent on talking to DJ. Yeah. Now we know DJ's not turning out exactly how he would have thought yet. Yeah. 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 But Dabo Swinney was very, very close with DJ through high school, close with his dad through high school. And this was DJ fighting all the other schools at the time. I mean, DJ was a top recruit. So Dabo had that sealed down before his senior year. You see what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. that's a relationship that was established by the head coach. Now, Marcus Freeman being a defensive coach, I feel like it adds a different effect for a quarterback. But Tommy Reese being a quarterback and being more hands-on, specifically in the recruitment of these five-star quarterbacks, yeah, that's going to be the difference in what he needs to be better at, you know, if we want to get a relationship built to where we can flip guys like a Travis Hunter, like some of these other guys out here that are top prospects. Yeah. Question that goes right along with that, John Dizzy says, why can't we get that guy a quarterback when a top-tier guy want to come here? Well, we've had top-tier guys come here, but they weren't top-tier when they got here. You know, we had a gunner kill. He was the number one quarterback in high school. He was number one. And and left before he even really got to even start for real. So we we get number ones, but they happen to not be the number ones, like a Caleb Williams, like a Kyler Murray, you know. So for us, I think just bona fide knockout the park studs like a K Kubinek, like a Jameis Winston type. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to not think all right, he's really good, but not talked about. Let's just right. avoid those type of guys right now. You know, I'm sure nobody was putting Drew Payne on the top five QBs coming out of this class. Drew Payne, you call him. I mean, I mean, yeah, it's, pay, it's I'm, I'm painfully champ. mistaken. I'm painfully mistaken. Drew Payne, the people's champ. The people, yeah, like, come on, we need to less Drew Pines for right now. Get a guy that looks the part. To yeah. give some confidence. I think people still love Brady Quinn to this day because he just looked like a Notre Dame quarterback. He looked like the prototypical guy we're supposed to get every year. I mean, he had the looks. He had the arms. I mean, the kid looked like the part. If we get some more kids that look like that, 
I think that'll put us in a good position to feel like we can compete until we get that bona fide piece. Yeah, on top of that, you know, when you really think about and this is something you pointed out, Marcus Freeman, from a defensive standpoint, and a lot of people are saying, like, man, can we get that guy? Can our offensive recruiting offensive recruiting get better when the head coach is a defensive guy? And my response to that was uh, Dabo was a special teams coach. Nick Saban's a defensive coach. He was recruiting quarterbacks pretty good. Yeah. It's about it's your ability to establish relationships with these kids, man. Early. Early. Not waiting until their junior year. Like early. Like read the room. Identify freshman, sophomore. Build that relationship and stay on top of it. And that's why we gotta build that Justice League of recruiting. Getting Alfred. a guy like Tony Alfred. These are the guys, Elston, Tony Alford, Marcus Freeman. You don't even need to instruct how to do it. Those are relationship building coaches. So, is a Dell Alexander, is a Tommy Reese, a mm-hmm. top recruiter in the world for that? Those are gaps that need to be addressed because that's the difference. Yeah. <laughs> kids, ain't, kids ain't being like, man, I cannot wait to go get coached by Dell Alexander. They like, man, no, that was a great place. They got a great program, but every day being under Dale, mm, maybe I think a big change in the in, in recruiting. Let yeah. Bayless talk to some of these kids. <laughs> yeah. Let, let Bayless because Bayless is really a program definer as well. When he got in there in 20, what, 2017 season? 2017, I believe, yeah. The team was different. Now, were we still missing some pieces? Yeah, but the team look like we can compete on an every week schedule we had less injuries it's so funny you say that because i have talked to uh players from the 2012 team and they tell me about how when they walked out in the tunnel getting ready to walk on the field and they saw alabama come out the locker room oh yeah they were like yo but you know who also was like that michigan state was big like that. Really? Yeah. Michigan State. Man, I'll never forget. I went out there. I thought we was playing uh, Georgia or something. They was, I'm looking at them like, Michigan State really, really kind of big for real. So they was surprisingly big. But oh, yeah, Alabama. Probably was, here. That's Mark D'Antoni. When he first yeah, that's Mark D'Antoni's year. They, he had big suckers out there. But yeah, like when we played, even Ohio State at that time, but I mean, they got, they had all the NFL guys, but yeah. the, the size difference. Man, it was it was very noticeable. So I can only imagine what an, an Alabama looks like. Remember they played USC a couple of years ago? At, yeah, at, on that first game. AT&T. Yeah. <laughs> you would have thought it was Alabama varsity versus USC junior varsity. I mean, it was no way on a size level. It was two different teams out there. Oh, it was. It definitely was. And Jermaine Blakely, interesting comment. He said HBCUs need to fund their education. Not every school is Howard or Morehouse. Everybody knows besides Jerry Tiller, Jerry Tiller's offense, the spread offense that dominated college football, came from the SWAC. Well, the honest, if you research the history of the forward pass, we know who is getting who gets the credit, who gets the credit for the forward pass. But uh, that coach actually stole it from a coach in the South. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. 
Go, go do your research. Go do your research. Oh, That's your yeah, research. Your research. So offense and, you know, going back to Grambling. Look, we know the history of HBCUs and the ability to produce talent. National Football League Hall of Fame is full of, the Pro Football Hall of Fame is full of guys from HBCUs. Yeah. Especially those that feel the NFL in the 70s and 80s. No, but, but let's let's not sleep on what HBCUs produce from a corporate standpoint and an entrepreneurial standpoint, entrepreneurial standpoint. Like, don't don't sleep on that. Yeah, y'all act like the kids South. that go there don't aren't intuitive enough or creative enough without this mystical educational program that they that you want them to have. These kids are already smart. And it's like HBCUs need to fund their education. Most of them are private institutions. They're not state institutions that get the support of the federal government and state government. So I would say before education education is is before education, you need to fix them dorms, you need to fix the cafeteria, you need all of that administration. Yeah, fix campus life. Forget the the school is gonna be the school. Can I get a return call? When I have a question and my daughter wants to go there, can I just get a call back? <laughs> yeah, they, they don't even be professional on the callbacks. You know, you're getting the you voicemail, you're getting the voice box hasn't been set up yet. You're and that's not a slight. That's just That just points out the difference in funding and staffing. Yeah. So it's deeper than just a, they need to teach them geometry a year earlier. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't. Like, dude, they, they've been going up to Capitol Hill trying to get funding for the last five years, and the government well, turns their back on them. Yeah, while well, everything else breaks down. And they still know. survive, and they still produce, you know, great individuals on and off the field at a high rate. So it is what it is, man. Do what you have to do with less resources. That's life for majority of people in this country. Yeah. Ain't nothing, ain't nothing on this planet equal. Ain't nothing on this planet the same or fair. So... I like I said, I think education is not the number one thing needed to be fixed at HBCUs. I think the environment and culture and update of the campus yeah. needs to happen. Like, let you know, they need to do what they do for uh, football schools and you know, have a couple hot tubs in there and show a couple player lounges and you know, maybe they need to show that around HBCU campuses to, to bring more of a feel there. Man, look, let me tell you something. And a lot of people might not understand this. You can go to any football campus on a Saturday, the South, tailgate, Notre Dame, tailgate, atmosphere, game day. You ain't did nothing until you go on the Howard homecoming. Yeah. Nothing. People all over the world go to the homecoming and even go to the school. If you haven't been to a Howard homecoming, you haven't lived. Haven't lived. Take take your boy at his word. I'm That's trying right. to tell you. I don't care what tailgate you've been to, what stadium you've been to, there's nothing better than a full weekend in D.C. for a Howard homecoming. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Let's see. Michael Johnson says uh, JSU and FSU are on two different slopes. JSU is pointing up. FSU is pointing down. You know what? For me, Miami and FSU lost a little bit of that swag when they joined the ACC. 
That's just I my think so. When I they were so. independent, like Notre Dame, it, 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 everything was different. Like once, and of course, for financial reasons, especially to support other sports, that was the right move to make. But the football program, yeah, the football program for both schools lost a little bit of swag to me once they joined the NFC. Yeah, it just didn't have the same effect. Yeah. Of, a, of a, oh, okay, I gotta turn these on. These eyes on because you see them playing Virginia. You see, I think playing. Miami was the Big East first. They went to the Big East. Uh, yeah, too. yeah, yeah. So. Miami isn't playing the teams that the 2000s grew up on where they're playing in Nebraska when Nebraska was really good when they're playing uh, these top teams. So scheduling matters, I think, for some recruits. Some recruits, if they're not going to Alabama or the Worlds, they want to go somewhere where they're going to be playing the Alabamas of the Worlds, you know, and get a chance to be on that front stage. Yeah. I think the – it's the same reason why I don't think we should join the conference. I think we would lose the the mysticism to Notre Dame. We wouldn't mm-hmm. be an attractive, we would be less attractive as a pool because people would start thinking, oh, you guys are in the middle of the Midwest. Right. <laughs> right. Now we're relegated to geography. <laughs> yeah, now we're being recruit. a national brand. Yeah, now we can only recruit in a certain area. You know, when you think Notre Dame non-conference, you can pull a lot of people with that. Yeah. I mean, should we pulling people from other countries? You know, what I mean, Fact. I don't think we getting uh, some of our German or Canadian players if we were uh, in a Big Ten conference. You know. Here we got a question from Hugh Kibbs, ninety-seven. Malik, who is your favorite quarterback in the class? I'm assuming the 2023 class. Oh yeah, it's definitely Dante. I think that's just because I think that he's a perfect fit for what we want to move forward to. You know, I think 20, shit, 2012 through 2015, 16, we had the right, the right mix of guys in that QB room to make something shake. I think it was a nice balance of your dynamic mixed with your game managers. You had everything in between. Now we just got a heavy room of game managers with with some slight athleticism. You know, I'm not saying that Jack is the slowest guy in the world, but Jack's <laughs> but Jack's not making too many highlights on his tape running the football either. You know, so not saying that you necessarily need it, but shit, even Trevor Lawrence has some great <laughs> runs. <laughs> you know what I mean, he put some great runs in that category. I don't think I've seen Ian run past 30, 40 yards. He had a nice – yeah, I don't think I've seen that. Just on a just – he just got out the pocket, just made the defense pay. Yeah. Stiff-armed the guy. So it's never been something like that. Not that – I think it makes a difference, but maybe some people don't. Unless you got super qualified receivers like an Alabama where you can be back there like Tua or Mac Jones or Bryce Young. And just throw it to anybody out there, and they go turn five in the forty. You know, for me, man, I really like. You know, everybody loves Arch Manning, and of course Malachi. I think Dante is ranked fourth right now. I think the top four, according to two four seven, are Arch, Malachi, um, Nico. They actually have Nico ahead of Dante. Malachi, then, I mean Archie's gonna be there until damn near the league. You know, he just don't have – all he got to do is not mess it up. 
that he's gonna be fine. But Nico and Dante being that in that top five, those are perfect recruits we need to go for. Yeah. You know, I think it'll break the monotonous of what we've been getting so far. We'll get a, a, a player that can come in right now. I think all the guys we named right now are guys that can that can play day day one. And that's really what these top, top programs are looking for. Don't be surprised to see a Kate Klubinek starting at Clemson. Yeah. You know, don't be surprised at some of these guys starting as a freshman because that's what these programs notice. You know, the, that whole change thing happened when Tua threw that touchdown to Devontae Smith in the championship. In the championship game, yeah. That changed college football right there. Now everybody's like, oh, I need a freshman. That's why Kelly Bryant, once he, once Kelly Bryant saw that on TV, he should have went into the transport portal that moment because, I, because there's nothing he could have did. They took him out when he was doing good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, That's true. <laughs> So it just showed the writing on the wall is that the younger guys that, that are really good and can play day one are better to put out there. That's why I said Tyler needs to be out there because he will be in a much better shape going into next year than where he is right now. I feel like he feels like he can do it. He just doesn't know it yet because he hasn't seen it enough. So so it's so two other kids from in the California area that you might have uh, – I'm not sure how much you've seen them. Uh, Jaden Rashada is number five. He's right behind Dante mm-hmm. on the quarterback list. And then the kid, Pierce Clarkson, that played for Bosco out there. Yeah, so we played Bosco. They whooped us. <laughs> <laughs> but, Pierce you know, play? Bosco got a – those teams, Let's Bosco, start. modern day, those teams are are like prep teams. You yeah. know, we, you playing neighborhood kids with, team, with a team from all over the country, all over the state. That's That's – Stupid, but I do think that um, the difference with some of these California quarterbacks—they're more hit or miss mm. than some of the the general quarterbacks in the country. Only because, I mean, the weather is so good out here. Mm. I would have threw for five thousand yards in high school. <laughs> it never yeah. rains, really. Like, like, throwing in California compared <laughs> to throwing in Ohio. Yeah, like yeah. I had some pretty good numbers in high school, but man, the numbers I would have put out here are ridiculous because it's just too perfect of conditions. So. Getting a quarterback to go anywhere east, you just don't know. You don't know how he's going to react to the to the cold. You don't know how he's going to be in some of these windy conditions because it can get windy in there. So I think having a, a guy that's more area fit like a Dante that has been experienced in that can help. Do I see Tyler Buckner in the dead of cold against BYU throwing for over 200 yards? It's, it'll be hard for me to see because I don't think – Tyler has ever played in something below 50 degrees. Yeah. And 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 we're not talking about below 50 in Cali. We're talking about below 50 in South Bend. That's a whole yeah. other below 50. Yeah. And I know that's, you know, he's good enough to overcome that, but that's a factor. You look at Ohio State this year, you can tell Ohio State has become an international recruited team or a nationally recruited team because them boys look cold. <laughs> That was the first time I ever seen Ohio State look cold, and yeah. they out there every day. Against Michigan, yeah, yeah, that was that was like, oh, I'm not hitting that. I'm I'm from Florida. Well, but half the teams, I think they had 20 players that literally had the flu all yeah. week. Yeah, you getting them guys that got that thin blood out there in them hot weather states. They like, man, the winter is like this. And that's why C.J. Stroud said what he said. 
the week of the Heisman Trophy presentation. Yeah, CJ Stroud wasn't throwing the ball great. And guess where he from? Rancho Cucamonda from Day Day Country. Yeah. So CJ Stroud was like, yo, any other day we would have killed them. Yeah, of course. But that's the problem. Why, yes. you know, you you can't have those type of days. You know, Ohio State looked like USC tackling when they come to South Bend against Michigan. They had the long hoodies and headgear and I'm like, these boys are cold. Now, remember a couple years ago, though, Ryan Shazier was out there yeah. pregame warm-up without a shirt on. But guess what Ryan Shazier? Now, Ryan Shazier from Florida, he's a little different. You know, he, you know, but it goes to my point. Them boys went from tough like that to not wanting to tackle anybody in that Michigan game. Good kids. Sean, take off the Dodgers cap. Southside hit me forever. No. <laughs> I have a National League team and I have an American League team. No. No. The Dodgers have always been my dudes. Going back to Davy Lopes, Dusty Baker. He said, no, nah, we're not doing nah. that. We're not doing that. For the Dodgers and then the socks on the That's American right. League side. <laughs> Do I wear my sock stuff every day. Yeah. I have to break, my, break the monotony. That's right. At some point. Let's see. Man, come on, bro. Come on, man. Turkey Green Nine. Jackson State gets bologna sandwiches before games. Come Probably. on. That's look, that's look. I got a kid that's at Grambling right now. And I'm glad they got Hugh Jackson over bro, there. Bro. I'm glad I they got Hugh Jackson. Grambling. My cousin, I went with my cousin to Grambling on a recruiting trip. I'll never forget this. Eddie Robinson was still the coach. So that was like, dude, I have that picture. I took a picture with Eddie Robinson, which is like, that battle is put away. Like, That's right. Yeah, you got to put that frame somewhere. get damaged or anything. <laughs> and this was like towards the end of his uh, career. And I'll never forget, they were like, we're going to the athletic building. And I pulled up, and it was kind of like just a store and a strip mall, dude. And I was like, yeah. yo, this is the athletic building? Yeah, nah, that's, yeah. This is the athletic office? And I was like, yo, this is. This I got a kid, is. I got a kid that want to leave so bad. It was two shootings on campus in his first year there. He like, man, I got to get up out of here. But I love Hugh Jackson as a coach. You know, I'm not, I, I think what happened to him in Cleveland is what happens to all the coaches in Cleveland. It just doesn't work. Yeah, <laughs> Kevin Stefanski holding out, but who knows? But I do think that, like I said, when it goes back to if the funding for these of these HBCUs and these schools and the SWAC will be better for the campus life, the education gonna be there. You know, that's gonna be there. It's been there forever. Yeah. That's not gonna change anytime soon. But what can change is if you make that cafeteria better, you make them dorms get some some heating and air and that thing update the thing a little bit, then I feel like the attraction for players will come. Because you see all these top schools doing it. They'll put a player slide randomly in the middle of the building just because the player likes to do it, you know. So, man, one of – that's your top guys for 2023. I'm going to step out on a limb, man. I've I watched film. I When I watch Arch Manning, I just don't see it. Like – yeah, I don't see it either. But I mean, I know the name, but it's like he would actually fit. He would fit Tommy more than he would fit 
shoot. LSU or Texas. LSU, and then, yeah, uh, like. But I, yeah. I don't see any special qualities. They gonna hype him up and act like he can run super fast and he can throw yeah. far, but he don't have. He got like Steve Angeli type qualities. Man, it's I like you, you're good, but you know, like for instance, Ian is really, really, really good. But you know what? I will say this: I expect him to know the game. Yeah. Now that, from a manning standpoint, like knowing the game. I think he'll transition to college football really well. He'll he'll be like a – But the game has changed. He'll be like the USC quarterback, Tom Marinovich. He'll have a – No. He'll, he'll won't be like – not play like, but he'll have the knowledge of where oh, – yeah. He'll yeah. start freshman year and probably yeah. put up some really good numbers because he yeah, knows how to – He just know how to play. Right. Now, is he going to shock the world and Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson to death or make yeah. great plays like Deshaun Watson? The ones he does make, they're going to blow it up. So just be prepared for a sports center to take everything he does like LeBron in basketball and make it seem like it's the first time ever. <laughs> you throw a shame. It, you got both brothers commentating games live on ESPN, so you know the attention is coming. Yeah, Lee Marie. Indy has a recruiting coordinator, beef up that staff, and pull coaches for the big pitches. Tell them, tell them the plan, bro. Remind them of the plan of what you said yesterday, what Notre Dame's about to do. Notre Dame is going to be a stronghold for the Midwest. We're going to get some, we're going to beef it up with some, some hometown guys that buy in. And through that, it's going to attract people outside the Midwest players that want to come because one, they're going to see us become a stronger culture. And two, we're going to be really good when it matters. And I think that's what the the next steps we need to take anyway. So in terms of recruiting these West Coast kids and these Florida kids, that's going to come and we're going to see that develop through spring. We're going to see how Dell Alexander does, Lance Taylor does, the offense put together. Yeah, And I'm confident that Coach Freeman is going to make adjustments necessary before that first game because he's going to have to. You don't want to go into that first game being like, I knew we should have got rid of Dale. I knew we should have did this, this. Yeah. At least get rid of the, the the obvious stuff or handle those situations before that first game. And if he, I believe he'll do that and then we'll move on from there. Yeah, you have to move on. You have to move on from Dale. It was very interesting when he was asked yesterday about being the lead recruiter for every prospect, not just one, but yeah. every prospect, he said, I think one, your staff will follow the leader, right? Straight up. If I'm the hardest working, I hope we're all hard working. But if I'm the most aggressive and trying to form relationships with these recruits, I hope I set an example for the rest of the staff that this is how we're going to do things. That's right. That's it. That's it. That's it. And I think that's why he's giving Dale Alexander an honest evaluation under the atmosphere that he's created rather than Dale being under an atmosphere that's more laid back. Like, like he just said, if the leader is laid back, then the rest of the staff more than likely. Is and if you're not fitting that leader's energy, then right. it's not a thing of us not liking you. You just right. not fitting into where we're going. Right. So, you know, he'll, he'll examine Dale over the 15 days, the 15 practices. And Dale has to be recruiting right now because 2023 kids, you know, they're ready to start signing and commit. I mean, not signing, but committing early as well. Taking visits, all that. All of that. 
So let's see. I got Eugene Williams, bruh. I lived on Third Street and you in front of Slow Hall in the HU. See, the HU neighborhood is totally different. Mm -hmm. Totally different than when I was visiting. It's totally like night day. Gentrified. Yeah, it's totally gentrified. Everybody's chill. There was no walking your dog back when I was visiting Howard back in the day. Now everybody's walking their dogs. <laughs> Everything is nice. You can jog around the campus. None of that. It wasn't like that before. No, not at all. And the homecoming was still slapping. <laughs> still slapping. Hey, homecoming was unchanged through the years. It yeah, always never changed. Never. My, I might even say it, it was better back then. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Like it was it there wow. were no cameras and stuff to record these days. Man, that's crazy. Is that any particular year homecoming was like? You remember any homecoming in South Bend that was like stood on, out, man. stood out more than anybody? That's see, bro. That's what I'm saying. It's just the game, right? That's it. Come on, man. Once the game is over, that's Notre it. Dame, okay, but you okay? That's not fair because Notre Dame technically doesn't have sororities fraternities so homecoming you're teaching me something you're teaching me something you know so homecoming so there are no gold boots you're telling me there are no gold boots on the notre dame campus bro you gotta have gold boots at notre dame it's like it's it's more like summer band camp than it is homecoming turn up everybody come back da, da, da. you'll have more fun You'll have way more fun, way more fun, homecoming type vibes on like junior parent weekend. Because the kids' parents go harder than the kids, and the kids' parents live up that moment, that weekend, like it's their last weekend. So that's where you get a lot of the fun stuff from the kids' parents. But from our own homecoming, come on, we, we, it ain't enough for the. Uh, <laughs> Let's just say it's too cold outside to be doing all that. Man. <laughs> Are you kidding me? It's only right. Look, and that's that's not being disrespectful, dude. If not the gold boots, then come on, man. DBs, he's asking me, you the bros? No, just surrounded by them in my family. Yeah, that's just all. surrounded. Yeah, you you, you know what I did. Around. I made the choice not to go that route, but if I did, I didn't have a choice. I already knew. The route I had to take, so yeah, that's a very serious route to take, too. Man, who you telling around? That's a shock, man. Well, I guess you never had to worry about any of the players being online during the season. Now, interestingly enough, we did have we oh, did okay. have we did have some guys, but the difference was they did it like you know how you could do postgraduate type. Right, right, right. That was more the feel. It wasn't like you get through the, the rituals and all the same. It was like you fill out the paperwork, you know, you get processed and then that, right. you know. So that's more the vibes we get. But I, don't know, day, I don't know if I can respect that, bro. It's not the same. Yeah, it's definitely not the same, you know, post-grad joining and undergrad joining, but. No, nah, if there's no burning sands involved, bro, I can't. Now, now we had uh we had some like some transfers like Avery they uh Sebastian that transferred from Cal he was a bruh. okay that was the first time we saw the locker room he did the dance and we were like oh okay you you really a but he was the only one you know right. but now 
I don't know how we had a, a couple kids in the class above me, like a Nick, uh, Nick Watkins, uh, Devin Studstill, and Jalen Elliott, some of those guys. Now, they end up joining, but, you know, that was more. They had to go go find it, you know. Just right, 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 right. <laughs> right. Which is crazy because the chapters, actually the chapters, like I went to U of I and Champaign. Oh, okay. Oh, but Champagne ain't nothing out there but that, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Matter of fact, the 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 bros and Champagne were always, always in trouble. Oh yeah, because you really be bored out there for real. So when you got a bunch of y'all doing yeah. everything, it's easy. Yeah, they were always on probation, dude, for just making it tough. But also the reason I, I mentioned this, dude, IU. Oh, IU lit. Yeah, we lit. used to go to IU. Yeah, IU was lit. IU was lit for the bros. Man, we just lost Malik. I think he removed himself. So, yeah, IU is lit. Let's get to some more of these comments. Uh, let's see. There he is. Let's get him back. Yeah, I don't know what happened. But, yeah, IU. We used to go to IU. <laughs> that's about what? A, a two-hour trip? No, nah, that's four hours. It's, it's so four? crazy. You know, we're closer to Michigan and Chicago, so Facts. we got to drive all the way through Indiana. Indiana yeah, But I use the place to be. If if, he, if I wasn't no football player, man, shoot. <laughs> you wouldn't be bad now. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, I totally agree with you there, dude. Uh, let me get this comment because we were talking about 2023 quarterbacks. I lost it. Here we go. Sean Grover, Chris Vazina from Alabama is a really good player. Wouldn't mind if ND got him. I believe he's like the seventh-ranked quarterback in that class. Yeah, so. I mean, I, I actually heard of a kid. Um, quarterback's just really hard to evaluate. It really is. It really going is. Going into college and high school because the level of competition in high school and just – now, let me tell you the difference, like, for a guy like Spencer, he had a lot of natural ability, meaning, like, Effortless in throwing the ball. He made it look good. He's a smooth athlete. So those are some tales that I can be like, okay, well, I can see some potential because of his technique. I'm like, that'll take you, that'll take him far, you know, regardless of if he could actually play or not. I know from a talent perspective, he's got enough to, to be considered really good. Yeah. That's about as far as you can go with quarterbacks. Yeah, that's going into going into college just because you can't sit there. Even though people know Trevor Lawrence is really good, nobody's thinking he's winning 30, 33 games and national championships before he gets there. Now you may project that on him, but you don't. It's hit or miss. You know, it's really hit or miss. So that's why I'm not going hard on Steve and Jelly. But I saw the film. There's nothing that I'm sitting there being like, oh, Steve, your arm or legs are yeah. just incredible. Yeah. You're popping off the screen. I see you make a lot of the, the right plays. You know, you're not turning it over. You, you're spreading the ball. Like, you're doing – look, like you're coachable. But we're looking – we're talking about the standard of winning national championships. Yep. If you're a national championship quarterback at this year, at this stage, you're popping off the screen. Yeah. In some way. Some way you popping off the screen with a throw, with a run, with something. I'm looking for screen poppers. Now, 
You look on our defensive recruiting. Ooh, list. that's a t-shirt. Screen poppers. Okay. We got screen. Got to write that one down too. Yeah. I see people in the comments asking for the petty train t-shirts. We got to get those and the screen poppers. Screen poppers. I like screen that. Poppers. Our defensive recruiting class 2022-2023. Drake Bowden, the screen pop. Jalen Sneed, a screen like God. Even Keon in entering it. He's screen popping. Yeah. It looked like they speed up the film when he got the ball. <laughs> you know, those are guys I like to see. So defensively, we got those guys. So that's what it would have to look like for me for quarterbacks to be like, oh, yeah, we got something. Dante yeah. Morris pops on the screen. Right. We check the tape right now. You're going to be okay. He, he got something more than the average quarterback that goes into school. Somebody told me when you evaluate film, if the film is done properly, it only takes two plays for you to be like, okay. That's right. That's, That's right. It. Oh, yeah. 100%. If he's really, really good. Like, for instance, right. I had a receiver at Florida named Antonio Callaway. He ain't played till his senior year. He ain't go to no camps. He just sent his, his senior year film out and had, like, 15 offers from all the top schools. It only played one year. Right. But you watch the film. It's like, oh, man, it's. If the kids on the film were running any faster, they'd be running backwards because he was that fast and freaky athletic. So those are, you know, I saw first the first route I threw to him. I said, "Oh yeah, this is a this is an NFL guy." Yeah. When we start getting guys like that at school, yeah, that's when you'll see the dynasty form. I bet you go to Alabama practice right now. You'd be like, "Oh man, this probably a guy we ain't seen yet." That's like, "Oh man," film pop, yeah. Oh man, I thought you know who I thought was gonna be like that Jordan uh, Montebello, that's his name. Yeah, I thought Jordan was more of an Aaron Lynch type, right? Now, I think you got uh, something happened in the beginning, we didn't see him early, yeah. But I think with a fresh year under Marcus Freeman, he might pop for it, yeah. Jordan, yeah, you know what time it is, bro. It's time to get petty. Oh, we did a good job executing. Are you upset with something? And fire up the Petticoat Junction train. I just don't like you. You don't? No. What is today's petty historic? Each and every day, right here, we give you the pettiest story of the day. So, Notre Dame, they lost to Orion Walker. He flipped to Michigan, right? <laughs> right? So, Michigan tweets out, we got a lucky charm in wide receiver of Morion Walker. Trying to troll Notre Dame. Damn. Yeah, right. You took our scraps. For real? You took our scraps. I don't think they saw the other pictures he was sporting. Man, real, right. <laughs> like, really? You stole somebody from Kansas State? That's, you, you you won a battle with Kansas State, and you got our scraps. Michigan okay. just seems like the, the guy that's so excited to get with the girl that we already done with. It's like, Always. Man, you know, we already broke up with her like two years ago. You you, you excited because she finally looked your way? Oh, man, we ain't worried about you, man. Jermaine Berkeley, they're coming soon. 
Get in the Petty Train t-shirt. <laughs> Gotta keep Believe that. So, yeah, we definitely have to throw University of Michigan on the Petty Train. Oh, yeah. Next up on the Petty Train. Man. Shah Khan was at the owners meeting. And this Josh Lambeau story broke. That cat Shah Khan took the PJ home. Yeah. Told that cat Urban to get his out the office now. 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 It's a wrap. I'm not waiting until Black Monday at the end of the season. I need you gone now. Yeah. It, and it, Josh Lambeau, I never like kickers, man. Right? Yeah. I was surprised. I, let me tell you, I, I don't like kickers because kickers always end up like if a kicker, I feel like this. This is just me. If a kicker is like a captain on your team, I can't respect your team, bro. Straight up. Exactly what it is. It is petty because he released the whole transcript. He released the whole conversation, word for word. He even gave the he even gave the reporter his response of what, in my opinion, him being a kicker. I don't think he said that to Urban. I think he said that to himself. And Urban probably wasn't paying attention, but I was just warming up. You had so much to say to me. Kick me in my hamstring. Like, yeah, I think if he had so much to say to the reporter, I doubt he said all of that to Urban at that time. But petty that it comes from your kicker and not from your quarterback, not from a position that you around every day for real. Man, it sucks that that got you fired. The punter <laughs> or the kicker. Like, dude, I, I understand. Because that, you know, Shah Khan said, dude, we, since October, we've been waiting for this dude to regain trust within the organization. And it's, it was, for me, it was hard to come back from the video, even the stuff before the season with, you know, issues with his staff and who he hired and how it offended players on the Yeah, roster. bringing in Tim Tebow, like, come on. All of that. Oh, Tim, the Tim Tebow thing is like, what are we doing, man? Yeah, like you that's how you start. You bring an old guy in the camp. Man. So yeah, those are the pettiest stories of the day. If you have a petty story, put it in the comment. We're here every day. Matter of fact, you can just put your petty stories in as soon as you guys log in before we start the show each and every day. And we'll get to it during Petty Junction. Another Sean Grover question. Who's your favorite old lineman in the 22 class? In the 22 class. I don't. You might differ from me, bro, but it's a Mill Wagner for me. Oh, a Mill Wagner for me too. He's six six. It's a six, Mill six Wagner. Mill Wagner. I'm a big Upside. fan of. Him. He's also from Yellowstone, Ohio. I like it a lot because not only is it is he a versatile player, but his size, being in the trenches on either side of the ball, is going to be at a benefit for us. Marcus Freeman, Tommy, he could be both side player. Who knows? Long arms. Yo, this offensive line moving forward, bro, the, the talent. And, like you said, if Harry gets his hands on him. Look at that, another in, Ronnie Stanley. Anyway, shape of four. Ronnie Stanley, I'm telling you. Man, it, it might be a problem for everybody that's on the schedule. <laughs> Truck Beagle said if C.J. Williams saw that petty train, he would have signed with N.D. We appreciate it. Up. I see all the comments. I appreciate everybody. Shout out to everybody that gave us big ups 
for hitting 1,000 subscribers, man. We appreciate it. It happened because of you, LL Nation. It happened because of you. We appreciate you guys sticking it out with us for the last three to three and a half months. You know, this is the grind for us each and every day. We give you great content, great conversation centered around Notre Dame football, college football, and every now and then we'll throw a little NFL in there. Every now and then, a little little salt bay on that thing. (laughs) Sprinkle some of that NFL news on that thing. Oh, man. So let's see. I want to make sure I get everything. They do. They're here talking about the, the favorite. Look, from a family standpoint, I had to rock with the bros, right? From a, from a family standpoint, I had no choice but to rock with the bros. No choice. But if it were left up to me, being honest and keeping a thou, I would probably be strolling with a cane. I'm talking about 18-year-old me. Really? Definitely probably would have been strolling with a cane. Damn. Yeah, but the influence in the family was just wow. like, uh, I the, had shoulders, the, the shoulders would have been real smooth now. <laughs> You know, you would have had a probably would have had a real problem on your hands with that. You know, and I got along. It's it's funny because I got along with Deltas better than any other sorority. Really? Yeah, yeah. I, I was cool with more Deltas than anything. A few AKAs, but more Deltas. Hey, Deltas are just more homegirls. AKAs <laughs> is like, you know, they ain't gonna try to get you know time of day until you gotta do the most. You know. Yeah, hey, I can see that. It's how Eugene what Shimmy Sean. <laughs> Shimmy Sean, that would have been the name. They already uh, know the name would have came out. Uh let's see. Uh Omar Austin, do you think Urban Meyer would get another college job? That's the safest bet for him. That's the safest bet for him. Well, yeah, he, he probably will. DBZ. Oh, hold on, DBZ. You rock you in the uh you in the triangle? That's you? I mean, no, no, I'm trying. I'm wrong, dude. Yeah, that is it. Yeah. Straight up. Oh, DBZ? Okay. She throwing up the triangle. I didn't know that. Have to give her a shout out when we get to South Bend for one of the games, bro. Uh, straight up. You don't have to. Irish Hammer 54. That's where we're at in sports. The kicker gets a coach fired. <laughs> That's all we talking about. A kicker. Look, man, I had this argument with uh a couple of guys. Robbie Gold was not only the player representative, but a captain for the Bears. And the day he became the captain, I was like, this team is headed down. Yeah. I was like, anytime your your kick your kicker is standing up before you and he's the voice of the team, that's a problem. And that's and that just shows that it feel like Urban Meyer didn't have a real plan going into the season on anything of a. It didn't feel like he went in there prepared. I think he went on there on his laurels. Yeah, he felt like he was a Florida guy. It would just work out, and unfortunately, it didn't. And I think a lot of it too is that sometimes there's not a lot of personalities that fit in college that can fit in the NFL. And he, him and Saban are two of the peas in the pod from that standpoint. They like the control of the program. Yeah. 
And you just can't do that with guys that are getting paid more than you. Yeah, just closing things out with some more news from the transfer portal. Your guy, Malik, Eli Ricks, has made a decision. He's gone from LSU, and uh, he committed to Alabama on yesterday. So interestingly enough, I was trying to get him to go to Notre Dame yesterday. I was talking to him yesterday, matter of fact. And uh, he just didn't see – he didn't feel like he's – you know, the perception, he didn't feel like he could fit in at Notre Dame and what they were offering from a school standpoint. You know, I did my best to try to get him, but – you know, I think for him, Alabama's the easy choice. He sees the results, and he's going to be a – I told him he was going to be a guy regardless. You know, you're going to yeah. be a first-round guy regardless. Just Did Notre Dame yeah. reach out? I'm not sure, but, shit, I was like, if he's interested, I think they'll be interested. Man, we need man, we need to put you on staff. Like, West Region. Like, this dude is over there. He's the West Region consultant of recruiting. Straight up. Just a middle man. <laughs> Get, just getting the finder speed every now and then. Get yeah. you a nice little duffel with LV on it. Straight up. To so, <laughs> walk in the room with. I'll be the duffel. I'll be the duffel man. Sergeant Green 9 says, in that sense, Pete Carroll's a better coach than Saban and Meyer. In college? I mean, that's debatable. He's definitely. I think, I think uh, Carroll got lucky because he got a Russell Wilson. <laughs> And a Ooh, legion of boom. And a legion of boom. No, no, no. We're talking about college, though, at USC. Uh, Reggie Bush. Yeah, but that dude recruiting was, was put like this. Pete Carroll knows how to put a staff together. I'll be Lincoln. i will be Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley's the refurbished Pete Carroll. Yeah. Because he'll be able to take over the area like Pete Carroll did. You said he's the refurbished Pete Carroll. Because USC been having a lot of uh, poor man's. Poor man, Pete Carroll's. Carroll cheated. Tell me a successful coach that doesn't. Especially college coaches. College coaches are the worst ones. They're way worse. They all cheated. But the best college coaches are the worst cheaters. Right. That's why it's it's a joke when news breaks like the Reggie Bush thing. When that stuff breaks, like, college players are laughing at it like, that's that's the story y'all brought out. That's the one y'all or or, or or big ass joke when Dabo Sweeney's talking about education is not at the forefront anymore of college football. Yeah, he's mad about that NIL. We can close the show with that, right? Like, like Texas Dabo. gave Texas gave all of his offensive line commits. I think it was like fifty thousand in NIL. Good for them. They still stink. It was like yeah, like that don't. Listen, money don't make you a better player. Like, if you're giving 50000 to a bad offensive lineman, that's on you. That's on you. You're wasting money. <laughs> you but wasting big money. It is a good attractive piece. And I think teams that can't compete with that will find ways to complain about it. You know, Man, look, the way I look at it, Notre Dame is in prime position to go at this NIL situation in a very unique way. I mean, right. the video, the media, the media side is already different. The media side is already different. You saw the difference in how they presented their signings on yesterday and everybody else. You know, Alabama's at a point where they don't have to do that. I mean, they've poured almost a billion dollars into their facilities and they have their own show out of the barbershop. Yeah, they, yeah they, they keep everything in-house. They're like, look, yeah. 
Y'all gonna see us in a couple weeks. Don't even worry about it. Just so that's their side of the media. Yeah. You know, they don't have to do the whole social media thing. Notre Dame. They want to be a little more hip. We're getting off of that. You know, when you've been dating a girl for so long, when you get back into the dating scene, it's evolved. So we're yeah. just trying to do some speed dating. We're trying to find out our swag again, go back out a little bit, step out and, and venture into this new prospect recruiting world. Right. Now, see, I'm learning something new, right? Because I'm not of this. I'm not of that world. I'm close to it. Uh, DB says, Sean, it's all good until you have to pay those taxes. I know it's an app fee early on, but I didn't know you had to pay. You pay dues annually too, huh? I didn't know that. Mm. I know the app fee. I know back in the day the app fee was hitting for like twelve, twelve hundred. Mm. And I was like, oh man, I don't know if I can play, pay that. Mm-hmm. Not to take a paddle. <laughs> no, straight up, not take a paddle with you. Let's see. Galante Dabo was mad because both his lieutenants are gone. Dabo got the number one quarterback. He ain't worried too much. He's banking on him working out. You ain't lying. And his class is only ranked 12th. But like you said, his defense is stacked yeah. from three years of recruiting, and he went and got a quarterback. And now he's like, look, I'm going to talk stuff, but you're going to see me again in that ACC title game. I mean, they all <laughs> ended up in the title game, make a run at the end of the year. That's right. So, man. It wasn't like teams were blowing Clemson out, dude. If Clemson Georgia had, only beat him by three. If, if DJ would play better last if DJ year. was just – shit, even maybe the DJ right now. Yeah. Then the first game, I think they would probably do better. Triple Deck Poe, what's good? Thanks for chiming in. I want to see a public-funded a public funded NIL, NIL deal, eSports funds, $10 million tournaments through crowdfunding. Tell me you wouldn't throw money so Indy has NIL money for his players. Look, man, Notre Dame has so many alumni that have IPOs and all types of stuff. There are so many creative ways that Notre Dame support this NIL. Yeah, they can do it if they want to. They just need to, like, first of all, case, I agree. Change the the yeah, they change the atmosphere. Yep. Make a huge trust. If yep. you graduate, you get a little piece at the end. Mm-hmm. Or if you, whatever, you can find ways to, because Notre Dame, is, like Texas, we got a lot of money. So if we want to make it happen, it can happen. We're building something new on campus every day. So that yeah. it takes money to do that. And I'm sure we're getting it and pulling it from somewhere. But in terms of what Texas is doing as a precedent, we could do that too. Shit, if anything. Our linemen deserve it. Facts. <laughs> Facts. Except our guy came in. You know, you can't transfer and get it. Right. You transfer <laughs> and earn it and then get it. <laughs> yeah, you have to that you would have to set those parameters. Like, right. yo, you have to be a signee, original signee rather than a transfer. Straight up. Yeah. I think man, Joe Montana's like IPO. He has an IPO that made close to a bill this year. If I'm not mistaken. You know, that's Joe Montana. Joe, Joe needs to add to that trust. Hold a little something, something on the pulpit. Man. You know, make this happen. We need to start bringing back the money shakes after the game. And I think that's what's about to start to happen. The atmosphere yeah. is about to change. Like I said, yesterday was a stepping stone. And the Freeman era is going to be totally different. I think you're going to see a lot more players involved and around. And they're excited. They definitely will be welcome back in the building. So... 
Yep. Man, they delivering a package, I guess, dude. They just had to ring the doorbell, right? Just sit the package down, man. You don't have to ring the doorbell. You don't want that interaction that early in the morning. Man. All right, Channel 54, Sean Malik, do you think Saban will hire Kelly when he gets fired in two years? He likes former head coaches. Man, Coach Kelly's been doing this a long time, man. It's a, it's a gangster in the game, an OG. He's going to figure out something. It may not look good now, but it gets greater later with a BK. Oh, that's a fact. That's a fact. All right, man. Man, we gave you about an hour and 40 minutes today. We did the petty train, talked Notre Dame, stepping stones, moving into the Freeman era, talked a little NIL, a little transfer portal. So, man, for my guy, Sean Day, I'm Sean Davis at SD2 Mics. For my guy, Malik Zaire, Overtime Malik. This has been Stepping Stones of the Lucky Lucky Podcast. We'll get at us tomorrow back 8 a.m. Talk more Notre Dame football. Get in. Bill, subscribe, share, like. Thank you for getting us over. Thou wow. Thou wow. Let's Thou go. Wow. Let's Get that screen poppers. That's Let's the next screen popper. With Petty Trade. All right. We'll see you all tomorrow. All right. See you.